I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles as we come to the preaching of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 5. This morning we'll be looking at verses 21 through 33 in Hebrews or Ephesians chapter 5. And as we begin, I'll begin by reading in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray and seek his blessing. Our Lord, we do thank you for your truth, and as we consider these verses, we pray for your work in us, that we would, Lord, have eyes to see and ears to hear, and that you, Lord, would uh, be blessing my mind and my mouth, that I might think and speak clearly. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. As we uh, consider these verses this morning, you know, last week I preached from verses 15 to 20, and uh, a lot of our translations and our Bibles have 21 uh, connected to in that section as well, but really verse 21 
is connected to both what comes before, but then also in these sections that follow. Uh, 21 does fall in line with, we're to be filled with the Spirit, and then we're speaking one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of God. But it's also, again, a a, a verse that kind of hinges on both. And so we're considering it because what Paul does then in verses uh, 22 of chapter 5 through verse 9 of chapter 6 is he unpacks various relationships within the church and what this submission looks like. And in each, as we look at the Three pairs that he gives, first of all, husbands and wives, then children and parents, and then bond servants and masters. There is, to a certain degree, it's not identical, but there is, to a certain degree, a mutual submission or submitting that is to be taking place. That's because the scriptures turn on its head the world's idea of leadership of authority. God commands those who are in positions of authority or leadership that they are not to lord it over those who are under them as the Gentiles do. But instead, those who are in positions of leadership are to come as Christ came to serve, not to be served. So as we consider, first of all, the relationship between wives and husbands, We need to remember that it is in the context of verse 21. And as we consider verses 22 to 33, they all fall under that heading and are an expounding and an explanation of what Paul means within the context of the church, looking now at the the home and then the workplace, uh, is to be under this idea of submitting to one another in the fear of God. So that's the application we'll be looking at. Submit to one another in the fear of God in in this section, specifically by uh, respecting your husband and loving your wife. So as we're looking at marriage specifically this morning, uh, those who are not yet married, yet there is still much to learn. Because these are the things that you are looking towards today. When you are in one of these categories, either a wife or a husband, then how then should you act? But also realize that this is overarching the submission of one another in the fear of God. So we're to submit to one another in the fear of God by wives respecting your husbands and husbands loving your wives. And we'll first look at, as Paul gives us here, first of all, uh, wives submit to and respect your husbands. And then secondly, husbands sacrificially love your wives. So first of all, submit to and respect your husbands, Paul says to the wives. Now this, this word submit, again, it's, it's drawing us back to verse 21. It's the same word. And wives, you are called to submit to your own husbands. Now as we consider this word submit, it's important for us to, first of all, notice this. 
It's not, wives, be subjugated to your husbands. This, wives, young ladies of the congregation, when you become married, this submission is a willing submission. It is a willing submission because you are called by God to submit. We need to consider, as we also understand this idea of wives submitting to their husbands, we need to consider the uber-woman that is presented to us in the Scriptures in Proverbs 31. This woman is industrious. She's pious. She's honored. She's respected. And she brings honor to her husband in her household. This is not a woman that is beaten into submission. But this is a woman who is using the gifts and the strengths that God has given to her for the well-being and welfare of her family, her household. She is a commendable woman. We learned this past uh, in the conference in uh, the way the, the Hebrews actually ordered the Old Testament. This is from Dr. Miles Van Pelt that the book of Ruth came after Proverbs. And it was seen as uh, Ruth then being an example of this woman. And we see in that book of Ruth how Ruth kind of followed through that pattern and is a godly example that the Lord has given to us for women to follow. As we continue to consider this idea, what does it mean to submit? I want to ask another question. When we go through presbytery exams, and we have men who are training for the ministry, one of the things that we ask them on occasion is, how many wills does Christ have? Or another way we might ask it is, does Christ have one will, or does he have two wills? And the correct answer is that he has two wills. We know this because Jesus Christ is 100% God and a 100% man. He has a divine will, and he has a human will. Now, they are not at complete odds. They are not at odds with one another. And his divine will as a member of the triune God is in complete harmony and unity with Father and the Holy Ghost. But we learn from the Garden of Gethsemane and the night in which our Lord was betrayed that in his humanity he asked the Father if it be possible let this cup pass from me. In his humanity he had another will. But we also see in the Garden of Gethsemane what it means to submit in a biblical fashion. Jesus closed that prayer with, not my will, but your will be done. And this is Jesus submitting to his, the will of his Father, the triune God. 
Now, when we consider submission, even in that instance, and I say this carefully, there is ever so slightly a, a, a disagreement. And I say that carefully because it's, it's not that Jesus was at odds with the divine will. But he did ask and he did seek, if it be possible, let there be another way. You know, I had one pastor friend say that, you know, if, if submission, if, if, if both parties just agree on everything, then there really isn't submission, there's agreement. When one party submits to the other, there is an acknowledgement of a difference of opinion, however small, and one then submits their will to that of the other. So it contained in this word is the submission of one will to that of another. Now, as wives or young women, as you look to being married, who are you to submit to? Paul says it twice. Your own husbands. There are those who wrongly view that there is an overarching headship of men over women in general. And this is not a biblical view. One of my professors at seminary said, if you try to tell my wife to do something, she has a rifle and she knows how to use it. Men in general do not have any authority over women in general. Men in general are not the head of women in general. The headship is only that which is codified in that covenant of marriage. Where there is a lifelong bond that is forged. Where these two parties coming together. And only in that instance does the man have the right to be called the head of the woman. It is only in this relationship. Paul explains the picture even further. He says that wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he'll expound on what he says next of he is the savior of the body as he's giving instruction to the husband. So we'll touch on that then. But the pattern here is as Christ is the head of the church, so husbands are the head of the wife. Now as we consider then, as Paul continues on, therefore just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Now, women of the congregation, this is something as we consider the relationship of Christ and the church that Paul kind of, he, he interweaves and twists uh, the picture of Christ in the church and the relationship of Christ in the church. But our marriages from the very beginning are to be, are a type of the union that God has with his people. This is why Jesus and in his instructions in his earthly ministry 
when asked about marriage as far as, uh, okay, this woman had, she went through seven brothers, they all died and passed away, which will she belong to in heaven? And the Sadducees were trying to mock Christ and this idea of the resurrection. And Jesus, in his response, says that in heaven people are neither married nor given in marriage. And when I first got married with Alicia, that verse kind of saddened me. I remember jokingly telling her, like, well, in the age to come, you know, say hi every once in a while. But why is that? Why is it that in the age to come, we will not be married? And we will not be given in marriage? Well, in the scriptural truth, what we have is the principle of when the type comes in its fullness, the anti-type, what pointed to it, is done away. We see this in the whole sacrificial system that pointed to the coming of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. We see this in the prophetic office which pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ and his revealing. We see this in the earthly kingly office that is now done away with because it pointed to Christ as the king. So we have, as all these things, as Christ has come in the fullness, he's come and in, in all those other types have gone away. And I think I, I said wrongly earlier, the uh, types go away when the anti-type that it, those types pointed to come in its fullness. Well, marriage is a type. And in the age to come, the anti-type will come in its fullness. Jesus, our union with Christ, will be complete. And what our marriages point to will be full. So marriages go away. But what this means... For the women in the congregation, is that in that marriage context, what you are pointing to is the church's relationship to Christ. In your home, that's what you are representing. Now, as we consider Paul's admonition here at the end, that they are to submit to their own husbands in everything, What does this mean in everything? Well, it means in everything. Except where sin is involved. Now, does this mean that the husband traps around as a a despot or a dictator, an authoritarian demanding his way and his rights? Absolutely not. If a man argues that, he has failed to read verses 25 and following, which we will get to. Does it mean that there isn't discussion and dialogue on paths to take or decisions to be made? No, absolutely not. We, we, we must have those. Again, Proverbs 31 is such an industrious, business-minded woman who makes decisions and sells and buys things and all, all, all hosts of things. 
What it does mean, though, is that when there is an impasse, when all other roads have been exhausted, when there is an impasse, that there is a hierarchy. There is one who has to make a decision. A way forward has to be done. And so the wives here are called to submit. As wives, I'm sure that this is hard to do when you have the better way of doing something. But after all the dialogue, this is what God calls you to do. It's a willful submission. Now, we all experience this to a certain degree. We are are all in a relationship of submission to something. If you consider just our general society and the laws that we have of our land, we live every day under this idea of submitting to something. Yes, we are in a free country. However, we are not free to go about and do all things that we want to do. And there are laws that maybe we don't agree with. I'm not talking about those laws that promote sin and wickedness, but those laws that the state has that we don't like or agree with, but yet they're there. And we have to submit to them. Now, as we consider then Paul moving forward, and we'll skip over what he says to husbands for the time being, he closes summarizing his teaching in these verses with this sentence. Nevertheless, Let each one of you in particular show love to his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now this word here, respect, is actually the exact same word that's in 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. The word there translated respect is the word that we get our our English word phobia from. It's a fear of something. Now, is Paul saying here that wives are to fear their husbands? In that sense? That in some way, the wives are to have some type of phobia, fear of their spouse? Well, no, that's not the case. Because we have to look at the context. And we need to understand even how the word fear is used of God in verse 21. The word fear there is used, again, this is the context of the church. We're not called to fear God and be in terror of him. We, in this covenanted relationship to God, we respect him. We honor him. We revere him. And so in this way, wives and young women, you are called or will be called to respect your husbands, to respect your your, uh, to honor them. And we need to also understand that this respect, it is not something that is earned. It is something that is due. Now, as we consider, and we'll look at this more as God calls husbands to love their wives, think of it this way. That, you know, 
wives will, your husband just simply says that he loves you, but doesn't do the various things that show that love. Maybe treats you in an unloving way. Would you believe your husband that he actually loves you? And God has made men and women differently. Women typically, not in each case, but typically thrive on that understanding of love and receiving that love. Men, again, not in every instance, but for the most part, we thrive on being respected. We thrive on being honored. And that's what Paul is getting at here. We need to not simply say we love one another and not show the love. We also need to not say that we respect one another and not show the respect. And so God here commands wives and young women as you look forward to being married to respect your husband's. Now, I've skipped over so far an important phrase. And that is at the very beginning that wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This does not mean that you consider your husband as if he were Jesus in the home. That is not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying here is wives submit to your own husbands as you are living and doing this, not for your husband's sake, but you're, you're doing it for the glory of Christ. You're doing it for the honor of Christ. You are doing it to elevate his name. As we are called in all things to do them unto the glory of Christ, unto the glory of the Lord, unto the glory of God. This is to be the motivation for you women and even for you men. This is what we are to do. It is to the glory of God. All that we do is out of this allegiance to him, first and foremost. As he will say in in other contexts that uh, bond servants are, are not to serve their master simply to please people, but as to the Lord. So as you consider wives and young women, this is the motivation. Show respect to your husbands as in the Lord. And so now husbands and young men, in verses 25 to 33, the command here is to love your wives. Now, we have historic documents from the first century that show that Gentile men, pagan men, spoke well at times of their wives and of their love and their admiration for them. So this shouldn't be much of a surprise. This is seen in our, should be seen in our homes and in the homes of people who don't profess Christ. So what is this command pointing to? Well, It is qualified immediately. That husbands, you are to love your wives just as Christ 
also loved the church and gave himself for her. This is a tall order. Husbands and young men, you are called to love your wives just as Jesus Christ has loved his church. And to give yourselves for your wives. This is where Paul is is turning everything on its head in his society. I'm sure there would have been wholehearted amens from the culture of verses 22 to 24. But then Paul gets to verse 25. There was an assumption that men had a right to demand things. And there might even schools today and so-called Christian thought that assert the same thing, that husbands have a right to demand things of their wives. But that's not the picture that God gives us here. It is one of giving of yourself. Sacrificing yourself for your wives. I had, um, there was one father in the church I grew up in speaking of this that, that said one time in a Sunday school class, he's like, well, I, I feel like I'm, I'm willing to, to die for my wife, to jump in the way of a bullet for her, but am I willing to do the dishes for her? Am I willing to, to do the, the, the cleaning that she needs done? Am I willing to, to do all these other things that she normally takes care of? Am I willing to lay down my own desires and what I want to do? For the sake of my wife. This is a qualified love. Now as. We're, we're going to kind of skip over for the time being. This week. We're not going to focus on verses 26 and 27. Well Lord willing come back to those verses. Next week. Not looking at husbands and wives again. But looking at what Christ has done for the church. Because I think that these verses are really kind of uh, Paul going off on a little bit of a tangent. It has application for us. It's not completely in that context of a, of a parenthetical statement that he's making. But, but what he's talking about here are not things that the husbands can do for their wives. We can't sanctify men. We can't, we can't sanctify. And, and, and women, you can't sanctify anyone else. The sanctifying work on an individual is between God and the individual. Does he use tools? Yes. But I can stand you and I can assert very clearly that I am more sanctified because of Alicia from before we met and some of the gifts and ways God has used her in my life. And Lord willing, she is more sanctified in the ways that God has used me in her life. So both husbands and wives are used by God to be sanctifying agents for each other. So what the Paul is talking about here and what Jesus does here for the church, what we learn from them is the uh, care and the, uh, the, the care that the husbands are to show and to have towards their wives. It all is summed up here 
in verse 28 when then Paul says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. The care that we are to have for our wives, men and young men, as you look to being married, is to treat her as you would treat your own flesh. Because in God's eyes, the two of you are, in fact, one flesh. You have been brought together. You have been unified. And as Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And Paul here quotes from way back in the book, in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, where after God has created Adam and Eve, and he's brought her to him, we read these words, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now as the scriptures say that, and as Paul here recounts it and quotes it, what does he say? But that in that day and age, it was assumed and understood that the, the woman, in, when they, she is married, would automatically, she would leave her household and then be in her husband's household. What God is doing is, by this is saying that the husband needs to understand that he is also the head of a new unit. This is a new household. Young people, as you look towards getting married one day, and as even before you get married, when you become adults, the relationship between you and your parents will change. We'll talk about this more, Lord willing, in a couple weeks as we look at children and parents in more detail. Your parents will take on more of a counselor advisory role in your life. You'll have the freedom to establish the rules of your own household. They may be a little bit different, but Lord willing, they'll still be biblical and scriptural. There is a leaving and cleaving. And the two husbands and wives are made one. And that's how God looks upon couples. They are one flesh. And so Paul, in talking about the care that Christ has given the church, is giving us real examples of how husbands are to care for the church. We are to care, or not the church, but for our wives, as Christ cares for the church. Again, it's as our own bodies. And what do we do as our own, to our own bodies? He summarizes it here. It's, we, we nourish. We, we take in the, the food that we need. We, we make sure that we're, we're taking care of our bodies. And as best as we can, maintaining good health. We also cherish. You know, it's a mental disorder to like to inflict pain on yourself. This is not the normal way of doing things. The normal way of doing things is that we 
try to keep from being injured. We try to keep from being hurt. We, we try to keep from doing these things. Why? Because we cherish our bodies. I don't want to have a broken bone, so I'm going to be careful. All these things, brothers and sisters, is, is to show us this is the, the way in which husbands, we are to care for our wives as we care for our own selves. There are four words to consider. Give, nourish, cherish, and cleave. So first of all, give. This is at the beginning of these instructions to husbands. This is the example We are to love our wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. How did Christ give himself for the church? Consider what the whole incarnation, the Lord left the realms of glory. He was born as one of us. He took on a human body and a human soul. He was born under the curse of the law, suffering the miseries of this life. He suffered in his uh, humiliation that he experienced in the betrayal of of a dear friend and then his, his whole nation, his people, turning against him. He suffered the humiliation of the cross itself in being beaten and despised and spat upon. All these things he endured. He gave of himself. But we need to think of husbands when we consider, and young men, as you consider being married. And maybe you come at a certain time of of odds with your wife, and you need to consider that situation, and we need to ask ourselves this. If Christ was willing to endure the shame and shed his blood for his bride, should I not be willing to sacrifice my desire here? We are to love our wives as Christ loves the church and give ourselves for our wives. We're to nourish. Christ nourishes us through his word, through the means of grace that he has given us. He nourishes us. He feeds us. As we consider nourishing our wives, it is a call of husbands. There is a provision that we're to have. Sometimes that's not always possible in the ways that we would like, but we can still provide and nourish our wives. There may also be an aspect of nourishing, of, again, sacrificing of our own desires and providing an option, an opportunity for a wife to explore and develop some gifts of her own, to nourish those gifts, to be used for the uh, building up of the household, and so building up of the larger household, the household of faith. We're not to squash, but to nourish. Again, we're to cherish. 
We're to cherish our wives. Paul uses the example here of as we love our own bodies, but let's think about other things that we might cherish. What do we do with those things that we cherish? We tend to think about them more. We tend to put some type of, you know, protection around them. We don't want them broken. We, we, we don't want them to be harmed in some way. We, we cherish, we protect, we think about, we long for. We are to cherish our wives. But the fourth one is we're to cleave. Husbands are, and young men, you know, the, it's not that the relationship of our families in which we grew up in are completely done away with. There is still that relationship there. But the primary relationship is with our wives. This is true of both husband and wife. The singular, greatest, human relationship that you and I have is with our spouse. It's its parents, it's not with our children. And as children, it's not with your parents. They may seem like it to you now, but one day, Lord willing, you will have that experience of what is truly the most important human relationship in your life. And that is why be praying for that spouse now. Be praying for that spouse. God would be working in in her or in him. And that you would be wise in discerning who to marry. Because it truly is that most important relationship that we can have as human beings. So how does Paul summarize? He talks about a great mystery, but again, we'll, Lord willing, look at this next week because he there says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. That's the mystery that he's kind of become a little bit consumed with in giving these instructions. But he says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Again, You could think of it this way in Jesus' teaching on we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, that golden rule. Well, the closest neighbor that we have is our spouse, is our wives, particularly to husbands. But as we summarize what Paul is teaching men and how to interact with and how to love their wives, it is that self-sacrificial love that Christ shows us. Any other love that is proclaimed or any other domineering attitude or position that supposedly men are to have in the home is a false teaching and an abomination before God. As Jesus Christ came to serve, not to be served. As Jesus Christ came to give himself out of love for his bride, 
to the point of shedding blood. We husbands are called to so love our wives. This is where, again, I said it's not identical. But this is where verse 21 encompasses both. The wives have the calling to submit to the husband, as we've looked at. But the husbands, in this way, have a calling also to submit. And that is in our self-sacrificial giving of ourselves to our wives in love. And so, brothers and sisters, as we are called by God to submit to one another out of reverence and awe of Him, wives, so submit to your husbands. And husbands, self-sacrificially love your wives. Amen. Our Lord, we give you thanks for your work on our behalf. May you be glorified among us, and may we submit to one another in the fear of God and Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.